Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. If you've not been with us over the last few weeks, you might not know that we're in the midst of a series entitled Family Plan, a biblical model for marriage and family. We'll wrap the series up uh, next week, but our purpose throughout this series has been not to, to cast shame upon the unbiblical models of marriage and family that are in the culture, but rather to hold up, uh, to aspire to what the Scripture teaches, the biblical model for our marriages and our families. And today, we're talking about leaving a legacy, leaving a legacy. And I, I, I began to think about what are the, the legacies or the inheritances that families have left or an individual has left to their family that has gotten public attention recently. Uh, perhaps one family that we would all be familiar with is the Walton family, and I don't mean the old TV show, uh, but the Walmart Waltons. And uh, Samuel Walton Sr. founded uh, Walmart brand many years ago. He died in 1992, and he left to his eldest son, Rob Walton, a vast fortune that today is estimated by Forbes magazine to be worth $58.4 billion dollars with a B, $58.4 billion. It's, it's an immense uh, legacy of wealth. Uh, Rob Walton has a classic car collection that's worth $300 million. I thought we ought to invite him to coffee and cars. That'd be a great idea, wouldn't it? Uh, who knows, he might show up with all his cars. Uh, but this week he made news, perhaps you saw it, that he submitted the winning bid to purchase the Denver Broncos NFL football team, and he purchased it for $4.65 billion. And he outbid his nearest competitor by more than $400 million. I mean, it staggers the mind. Uh, but here's the question. Is the incredible wealth of the Waltons fortune, the most valuable legacy that Samuel Walton Sr. could have left to his son. And I want to say to you today that as immense as that wealth might be, it is not the most important or the most valuable legacy that he could have left because all of those things, all of those millions and billions of dollars will someday be worthless. They will someday pass away. They will someday uh, have no value whatsoever. You can't stuff your stocks and bonds and cash and other goods in the coffin and take it with you. And so Jesus had some very good advice for those of us who follow him about the things that really matter. Here's what he said, Matthew 6, uh, verse 19 through 21. Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I want to talk to you today about how to leave a legacy that is worth far more than the billions of dollars that Samuel Walton passed on to his son, Rob. I want to talk to you about a legacy of things that will last, of things that matter. And no matter where you are in a season of life, whether you are here today and you are single, which means you are most likely a future parent, or whether you are a parent of children that are still living under your roof, or perhaps you're like Cindy and me and you're a grandparent of grown children, no matter where you are in life, the things that I'm going to talk to you about matter for you and matter for the generations that follow in your family. You may be a parent with young children and you have control over them and authority over them and you're responsible for them. Or you may be the parent of an adolescent, a teenager, and you have less control over them. If I can clue you in, you have less control than you think. <laughs> or your children may be grown. Or you may be a, a grandparent, or you're an aunt, or you're an uncle, but there are some kind of family connections, several of them, in your life. And I want to say that all of us, no matter where we are in life and what our relationships in our family are, we will leave a legacy. And I, I use this as a part of the series because, and here's our big idea, the one-sentence summary I want to get across, we must pass the faith to the generations that follow us. It's not an option. It's not just important, it's crucial, it's essential. It should be our hope, it should be our goal, it should be our prayer that the generations that follow us would become deeply committed, biblically grounded followers of Jesus Christ. So, what is a legacy? What does that even mean? What is it that we're seeking to pass down. I submit to you today that they're values, priorities, that they are things that are a part of one's life that the generations that follow you would want to emulate because they see them in your life. There are many, but I'm going to share six of them with you today. Legacy, family, values. And if you will practice these in your life, I believe that you will pass down a legacy that will matter. The first one is the foundation upon which all the others are built, and it's commitment. Commitment. Commitment to love Jesus with all your heart and to follow him faithfully. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, 
verses 37 through 39. If you have, you may have found them as disturbing as I did. If not, listen to what Jesus said closely, Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Now, I want to try to bring some clarity here. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't love our parents. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't love our children. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says if we don't take care of our family members, we're worse than unbelievers. So he's not saying we should be disloyal or unloving to our family. But what he is saying is that we should not turn anything or anybody, not even our own parents or children, into idols in our life. Things or people that we would love more than we love him. Because if we love anything or we love anybody more than Jesus and we claim to be a Christ follower, we have made that thing or that person an idol. But here's the glorious paradox for the Christ follower. If we love Jesus and we love our family, this is true. If you love Jesus first and most in your life, he will not diminish your love for others. He will increase it. He will increase it. But if Jesus is in competition for the greatest affection or commitment of your heart, then he's not really your Lord. You may call him that, but if he's second place or third place or some lesser stature of your affection and commitment, then he is not truly Lord. But when you give him the rightful place on the throne of your heart, when you make him the greatest object of your affection and commitment, only then can you truly learn how to love other people, including your own family. One of the most difficult biblical stories for me has always been the story of Abraham and Isaac. Do you know that story? Uh, if, if you don't, it goes, goes like this. Abraham uh, was the, the father of the Jewish nation, and he was promised a son, and God fulfilled that promise in his old age, and he gave him a, a son, Isaac, and he said, from this son will come all the generations that will follow. And he loved Isaac just more than anything in the world. And then one day God said to him, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, the son which you love, I want you to take him on top of that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me on the altar of worship. I want you to take his life in sacrifice to me. And even though we know how the story turned out, uh, it, it's, it's stressful, it's, it's disturbing, it bothers us. Can you imagine what it was for Abraham when he didn't know the end of the story? 
Can you imagine the, the broken heart of Abraham when God would ask him for the life of the son that he loved so much? But Abraham did what God said. He took him on top of that mountain. He tied him on that altar. He took the sword and he raised it to do what God said to do with a broken heart. And God stopped him before he thrust that sword into his son. God didn't want the life of his son. He wanted the heart of Abraham. Now, stop and think about this. Did God need to do that because he didn't know how Abraham would respond? No. God knows everything, right? We call it omniscient. So God already knew the end of the story. God already knew what Abraham... Who was it that needed to know what Abraham would do? Abraham. And he was saying to, to Abraham and through Abraham to us, there can be no one, not even your precious son that can be more important to you than me. But if you will put me first, I will teach you how to love your children. I will show you how to love and honor your parents and others in your family. I will show you how to love and how to live. But commitment to Christ must come first. And then the second is submission. Submission to what? To understand, trust, and order your life as a Christ follower according to Scripture, the Word of God. Here's what the Apostle Paul said to young Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 14. He said, Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, I love this verse. All Scripture is inspired by God. Not some, not what you want to pick and choose, what you like and discard what you don't like. No, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, as we think of leaving a legacy, I want to identify one of the most dangerous misjudgments and false assumptions that parents in the church of Jesus today have. And it is that if they bring their kids to church, if they go to Sunday school, if they go to vacation Bible school, if you send them to camp, you do all the right church stuff, if you just have them in church, that they will automatically grow up to believe and trust and obey the Scripture. That's a wrong assumption. Just being a church kid will not guarantee that they will believe and trust and live by the Scripture. Unless we impart to them a deeply rooted family value that we believe 
and, and trust and seek to live by the Scripture, guess what even your church kids will do? They will default to the culture. Because the culture and the values of the culture are incredibly strong. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sexual, moral values, financial values, priorities and, and, and values of life in the culture. The, the whole wave of what people think outside of the church is an incredibly powerful force on our children. And here's what I want you to understand. Follow this statement. If they, meaning our kids, choose to believe the values of the culture more than the Scripture, it will push the next generations even further away from God. Because here's the reality. The, the next generation, not even the ones that follow, the next generation, our kids, they don't accept because I said so anymore. They don't accept, well, this is what we've always believed as being the standard for truth. They live in a cynical, skeptical, amoral, irreligious culture. And we must have an answer for why we believe the Scripture to be trustworthy, to be true, to be right, when the culture says it's all wrong. And when someone asks me what it is that makes you believe the Scripture is true, my first and best answer is because Jesus said it was. Because Jesus said it was. And here's what I heard Andy Stanley say years ago, and it really stuck with me. He said, if somebody claims that they're going to die and rise again in three days and they pull it off, I'm going with him. Do you understand the, the basis of validity for our whole faith, 1 Corinthians 15, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what gave him the authority to say, this is truth. I am Lord. And when Jesus says that the Word of God is trustworthy and true, no matter what the culture says, then we need to believe it. And can you make your children accept the Scripture is true? No, you can't. You are not responsible for the values and choices of others, not even your own kids. But you are responsible for what you model in front of them, for what you believe in front of them, for what you choose to trust as the standard of truth and right and wrong. And if we leave a legacy of apathy or indifference toward the authority of Scripture, we must not be surprised if our children don't live by it either. Well, these first two family values have to do with our heart. It's the foundation. But the remaining four have to do with how we live it out. And here's the first of those. When you are committed to Christ, when you trust in Scripture, then you will live a life of unselfishness unselfishness, where you put others, especially your family, before yourself, and you pray diligently that they will come to love Jesus.
Here's what Paul said to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, beginning with verse 3. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests only, but take an interest in others. Uh, By the way, self-centeredness, selfishness, what's in it for me, me first, has always been a problem with people because of our sinful nature. The Apostle Paul dealt with it in the first century. We're still dealing with it in the 21st century. And so Paul, as he writes the Philippians, he said, even now, everybody around me except one person is stuck on themselves. But there's one person who's living out what I'm trying to say to you. Verse 20 of Philippians 2. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Leave a legacy of being like Timothy. Let the next generations watch your life and see someone who doesn't always make it all about them. Let them see a person who is godly and humble and unselfish, who really cares about other people, and it shows. It shows in what they say. It shows in what they do. Let them see a person who doesn't act like they're the most important person in the room, no matter what room they walk into. I talked to somebody recently who had gone out on a date. And it was the first time they'd gone on the date with this this person. And they said when they got to the restaurant and they sat down, this person started talking. And they kept talking. And they kept talking. And guess what they were talking about? Themselves. And they kept talking. And through the whole date, they never asked one thing about the other person. They never asked about their family or their job or their life. And the person who was recounting this to us said, I just wanted to scream, check, please. (laughs) Don't be that person. If you find yourself talking too much about yourself, tell yourself to stop. Don't be a selfish, self-centered person. Listen, our culture is gravitating continually toward narcissism. Have you heard that term? Where it's all about me. Everything's about me. What's in it for me? I'm the center of the universe. And sometimes we unintentionally raise our children to think they're the center of the universe. And we need to help them understand that what matters is being unselfish. Let's leave the next generation a different legacy than self-centeredness and selfishness. Let's leave them a legacy of Christ-like humility and unselfishness of someone who truly cares about other people, not just their own family. I mean, the mafia loves their own family, but cares about other people, people who are hurting, people who are in need, people who are different, who even care about people who think differently and act differently and talk differently. 
and treat people with, here's the next one, kindness. Leave a legacy of kindness. Treat everyone with dignity and respect and compassion, whether you are treated well by them or not. Have you ever heard these words from Jesus, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 43? Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors, I said the mafia, but it all still fits. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? even pagans, even unbelievers, even people who hate the things of God do that. See if you agree with this statement. I think we are currently living in the most polarized culture in America since the Civil War. I think we are living in the most polarized culture America has ever known since the time that we were at war with ourselves as a nation. And I think the next generation of, of, of kids in the church, of, of Christ-following families, I think they are looking at us to see how you live in a polarized culture like that. They are looking to see what our attitude is. They are looking to see how we treat people who are on the other side of whatever it might be. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter what issue you might pick, you know? How about this, gun control? How do you pick, how, how do you treat people who are on the other side of you from that issue? And I'm not saying which side anybody ought to be on any issue except what the scripture teaches clearly, but how do you treat people who are on the other side of the issue? Do you treat them with dignity and respect and kindness? Do you pray for them? Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies. Guess what? He really meant it. He actually meant it. And I think they are looking to see what a biblical ethic really looks like in us. And we are in a culture that is leaving less and less room for respectful disagreement. Would you agree with that? Less and less room to have respectful disagreement. We need to show them that it actually is possible to show others unconditional love while still holding to uncompromised convictions. You don't have to compromise to love people unconditionally. That's what Jesus did. That's what he's asking us to do. Our greatest goal must not be to win an argument to prove we're right. 
Our greatest goal must be to show Jesus to people who don't know him. I mean, what does it matter if we win them over to our side of the issue when most of the time we won't anyway? What does that really even matter? What matters is where they spend eternity. And they're not going to listen to the gospel if we act like a jerk over whatever issue it might be. We must leave a legacy about how to treat people with kindness and grace, dignity and respect, people who disagree with us, a legacy of showing Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. And then to live with the family value of integrity. Integrity. Here's what I mean by that. To always do what is right, whether people will see and agree or not. Do you realize integrity is in short supply even among Christians today? It's in short supply. Here's what Paul said to the early believers, Ephesians 5:15. He said, "So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. If Paul called the first century evil days, what do you think he might call our days? Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And not only the Apostle Paul, look what the Apostle Peter said, 1 Peter 3, 15. He said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If somebody on the polar opposite end of whatever your hot button issue might be today, if someone in the midst of of this disagreement that you would have with them if you should enter into a conversation, if suddenly they should shock you and ask you, why is it that you call yourself a Christ follower? How would you respond? Here's what Peter said, verse 16. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed. Why? When they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Integrity. Doing and saying and acting in ways that are right, whether it benefits you or not, just because it's right. Not the what's in it for me, but what does God want of me? What does love require of me? And then for all of these, all of the other five, it should all be wrapped in this last one, authenticity. And here's what I mean. You don't act one way at church or in front of other people and another way at home. It means you're real, you're genuine, you're transparent. You're, you're not wearing a mask, you're not playing a part. You're a, an authentic person so that you can show everyone with whom you have influence 
what it looks like to live like a follower of Jesus, to work hard, to be responsible, to care about others because of Jesus. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, once again, the words of Jesus, last scripture. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. If you're a Christ follower, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, let your good deeds, let your authentic life as a committed follower of Jesus Christ shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let me close the message with this, this question. Whether you are single and a future parent yet to be, or whether you're a senior adult or anywhere in between, no matter where you are, let me ask you this personal question. When the story of your life on this earth is done, when the book is closed, your life is over, what will be the legacy you leave behind? What will the generations in your family have to remember about you? What words would they use to describe who you were in their life? Your legacy may not be the billions of dollars that Samuel Walton left his son, but if your legacy is commitment to love Jesus Christ with all your heart and follow him faithfully, if your legacy is submission to the Word of God as the standard of truth and the guide to life, if your legacy is unselfishness, that you really cared about other people and not just yourself, if your legacy is kindness, that you treat everybody with grace and dignity and compassion, if your legacy was integrity, that you always did what was right just because it was right, not to gain anything. If your legacy was authenticity, no hypocrisy, you were the real deal. If your legacy are those things, then you have left them something far more valuable, far more lasting than all of the billions of the Walton's fortune. And this, my friends, is important because we must pass the faith to the next generations before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close this service and we give people opportunities to pray or to take a step to follow Jesus in their faith journey, I pray that you would superintend these moments, that we'd not be anxious to, to run out of church into our busy lives so quickly that we don't give you these next moments to consider what you may have said to us or to take a burden that you've placed on our heart. 
to pray for someone who's hurting. To pray, Lord, about something in our own life, our own family, our own legacy. Help us just to be ready to spend these next two or three minutes to give you, Lord, what you're asking of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand, please? Our deacons and their wives are going to be standing here at the front and up in the balcony. If you'd like to pray with someone, they would be honored to pray with you. If you're sick today and you need a, a prayer for healing, Cindy and I will be here at the front. We will anoint you with oil as Scripture teaches and be glad to pray that God will heal you. If you want to take a step in your faith journey, just say to any of us, I need to take the next step. We'll help you do that. Respond as God leads you in these next moments.